From Feature Story News in London, I'm Benji Hire. A volcanic eruption in New Zealand has killed at least five people and left several unaccounted for. Tourists were seen walking inside the crater on White Island moments before Monday's eruption. More than 20 people have been rescued so far, but it's unclear how many remain there and some of those injured are in critical condition. White Island is a popular tourist destination, even though it hosts the country's most active volcano. Approximately 50 people are thought to have been on the uninhabited island at the time. Deputy Police Commissioner John Timms says the area is still dangerous and rescuers are struggling to gain access. The island is unstable. Uh, the possibilities of further eruptions, but actually the physical environment is unsafe for us to return to the island. Russia has been banned from all major sporting events for the next four years by the World Anti-Doping Agency. The ruling by the agency in Switzerland is punishment for the country manipulating test results. It means Russia's flag and anthem will not be allowed at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and football's 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Sports correspondent Martha Kellner explains the significance of the decision. As it stands, we won't have any Russian flag at the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. We won't have the Russian national anthem at the Olympics in Tokyo 2020. This is the severest sanction yet in this ongoing Russian doping saga. Tesco, the UK's biggest supermarket chain, could sell its Asian businesses after receiving interest from a potential bidder. Its 2,000 stores provide employment for 60,000 people in Thailand and Malaysia under the Tesco Lotus brand. Our UK reporter, Stuart Smith, has the details. Tesco has announced its reviewing operations in Thailand and Malaysia, which may involve selling its businesses there. It's received inbound interest, but is not saying who the interested party is. The Asian market is a valued part of Tesco's international operations, providing 10% of global sales and 20% of global profits. Its move into Asia has been one of the more successful parts of its global expansion. It previously tried to enter the Japanese and US markets, but was unable to win significant market share and has since withdrawn. And the UK's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is embarking on a last-ditch blitz of pro-Brexit Labour-held key marginal constituencies in England with only days to go before polling day on December 12th. In an attempt to hoover up the votes he needs to secure a majority, Mr Johnson is claiming that opposition parties in Parliament have delayed and denied the country's departure from the European Union. The Conservative leader is campaigning on a promise to get Brexit done. Meanwhile, the main opposition party, Labour, is still trailing in the polls. Its shadow chancellor is announcing plans to deliver a budget to end austerity within its first 100 days if the party wins Thursday's general election. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. Hi everyone, Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste, because wildfires can even start in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination, rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. 
Welcome. Happy Monday. So glad to be with you today. We are just slamming and jamming through December. Yes. I uh, woke up this morning and was looking at my schedule and thought, okay, first of all, whoa, it is already December 9th. We are really moving through this month quickly. And uh, the news is actually moving pretty quickly too. So I want to chat about a few things that have been going on. And this is interesting. Um, first of all, y'all know that President Trump is just killing it in the polls in the battleground states. In fact, um, he is doing something that pollsters call surging. He's surging in the battleground states and they're attributing this to the impeachment. I'm so glad to hear it. Um, I think Americans have a sincere wish to see people who've done wrong prosecuted and then everybody else. Well, you know what? You got to leave people alone. Uh, President Trump was duly elected, and so he needs to be left alone to run the country for the time that the voters have given him. If voters don't like him anymore, well, goodness sakes, you know, convince them to throw him out. That is what I feel like these polls are saying. We're going to dig into that. We're also going to talk about yet another social justice warrior that's simply a hypocrite. Now, you you guys, first of all, the short for that is SJWs, and there is nothing wrong with warring for social justice for people who don't have it, namely people who are poverty stricken. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible calls on us to do that. Proverbs is literally, um, it's littered with, if you, if you like that terminology, admonitions to us not to take advantage of the poor, not to charge the poor exorbitant rates when they borrow money, to give to them rather than to loan to them, uh, not to cordon them off in certain areas of society where they can't be seen and they can't have opportunity to improve their lives. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are to care for the orphan, the widow, and the person who's in prison, which means as much as we want people to be held to justice, held to account for their actions, um, I'm having trouble making my headphones fit over my, my hairdo today. That's weird. Um, we want to make sure that people who are in prison still are able to access the gospel, that they're not just left there to rot, but in the spirit of redemption, which is what Christ has done for us, he does that also for those who are in prison. We know this from God's word. So th those are things that don't often get discussed, but as Christians, before politics, right, this is our Christian worldview we're acting out here, we're supposed to be taking care of the poor. What we have done in this country is we have said, you know, taking care of the poor is messy work. It's not cool. It's not something we really want to do all the time. We don't want to see the poor. We don't want to be interfacing with them. So we play an elaborate game of wealth redistribution where we take from people who've worked. And instead of saying, hey, Stacy, I'm taking a quarter of your income this year. Where would you like me to put it? What ministries would you like it to go into? You know, aside from the cost of running the country, paying for never ending wars, uh, funding our uh, you know, diff different programs that we do like Medicaid and Medicare, et cetera, et cetera, you know, pretending that we're putting money into a so-called lockbox per Al Gore for my retirement and yours through Social Security. And we pay for so many other things, roads, bridges, you know, don't want to leave Obama out of this. But do they ever say, you know, out of the charitable income that we're going to be sending out, the money we're going to send that's supposed to take care of the, the poor, the money we're using to wage the war on poverty. Stacy, where would you like that to go? Uh, what programming do you think we should initiate? No, they just dump it into 
federal and state governments, and those governments use the money on just what what would you say there are? Tens of thousands of different types of social safety net programs that are supposed to help people get off poverty. Now, some of these programs, admittedly, you have the generational welfare set in America, and then you have everyone else. And these are people who really, they fall on hard times. They access social services for about a year, and then they're back off of it because it's ingrained in them. They don't want any part of it. But what's really pernicious about it is that if you say you want to lower taxes, the first thing that comes out is, well, just because you've made it doesn't mean you shouldn't want to help the poor. Well, helping the poor is not solely the job of the government. In fact, I don't believe it's the government's job at all. Now, I'm not against, in theory, our social safety net. I understand that it keeps many, many thousands of children off of the streets. It keeps them with, you know, a hot breakfast, a hot lunch, and sometimes a hot after school meal uh, for those parents who they're getting all kinds of welfare, but they don't feed their kids. But the way to make sure that poverty is limited to the smallest number of people is not through taxation and wealth redistribution. It's through hand-to-hand, person-to-person interaction where people who are being helped are held accountable by those who are helping them, thereby facilitating their move off of the social services. This doesn't mean that people who are disabled would never, ever be helped by our government. But what it means is that what the government's doing would be much, much smaller. So I say all of that to lead into the story, which is, I mean, I, I just was like blown away by how efficiently New Yorkers find ways to ship people out of their state. And I know for new, most New Yorkers would say, well, we don't find ways to ship them out. People who are leaving just don't appreciate what we have here. New Yorkers are rabidly pro-New York. They love the state. They love everything about it. Even when you talk to them about the ridiculous taxes, we're talking property taxes here, property taxes that drive middle and upper income families out of the state of New York because they can no longer afford to pay the property tax on their home. It's not that their home has gotten too expensive or that they bought too much house. It's that the property tax has risen to such a degree they can't afford to pay the property tax. So they move to parts of the country where there is no property tax or there's very low property tax. Talked about that in Uh, How Money Moves, Uh, that book by my friend Travis. Yeah, How Money Moves. And um, it's a great book. If you ever think about getting it, it's it's an easy read and it's packed full of statistics and data. So anyway, the social justice warrior that I'm talking about right here right now is Bill de Blasio. So check this out. You and I'm, I'm just this really surprised me. He ships his homeless population to other states using a program that they have there that basically pays for families who meet certain criteria one year's worth of their rent. So here's how this works. First, And first off, just so you can understand, the story is really about Mayor de Blasio sending people to North Carolina. The state of North Carolina is important in the story because Bill de Blasio has a travel ban ongoing to North Carolina. So you can't, you can't, if you work for the federal government in New York, you can't travel to North Carolina on the state's dime. So let's say you needed to go there for something for business. I don't know what, don't ask me. The state would not pay for you to go there because they have enacted a travel ban because North Carolina has these rules about women being able to go to the bathroom without men being in there. It's that simple. So New York says North Carolina is anti-LGBT. So 
they won't allow their employees to travel there and they won't allow funds to flow there. So don't you find this interesting? Mayor Bill de Blasio has been sending homeless New Yorkers to live in North Carolina. He banned the city in 2016 and the ban is still in effect. It's three years on here. Uh, because of the controversial bathroom bill, which prevents men from going into women's restrooms. So he's ignoring the travel ban because these are state dollars that are sending these people to North Carolina to live. He hasn't lifted the ban, and it's only on non-essential travel. I want to be clear. It's not on essential travel. It's on non-essential travel. So the travel ban is on anything that you would want to do, not anything that you'd have to absolutely get done in order to perform the function of your job. So city taxpayers over the past two years, New York City taxpayers, have given North Carolina landlords approximately $640,000 to house 40 families from the Big Apple who are living in the city's homeless shelters. The program that is being used to do this is called Special One-Time Assistance, S-O-T-A. It's an $89 million a year program and it has come under fire because it doesn't just send people to North Carolina. They'll send people to wherever they want to go, anywhere around the country. They're in a homeless shelter in New York. If they can show that they have a job and that the rent that they propose to pay with their new landlord is less than 50% of their take-home pay, then they qualify to get this voucher, which pays for one year of their rent. So you can't go to North Carolina on the state's dime to work to perform your essential government duties, but you can go there on the state's dime if you want to live there and have your rent paid by New York taxpayers. So here's the other cake taker about this. When they send these people there, obviously they the person has gone and gotten a job there because they now have a, the ability to say, look, I, I have employment that totals this amount per month. They've gone to the place and found rent, whether it's uh, Missouri or North Carolina or California, wherever they're going. And believe me, they're not they're not headed to California. They're headed to lower cost of living states. So they show that their income is at least twice or more the amount of the prospective rent. And then the state issues the check. Now, they are careful. I was uh, looking up some details on this. I, I thought this was really interesting because of what they're doing. Um, and so I, w- I want you to hear some of the frequently asked questions because a lot of Americans are like, say, well, they're doing what now? Um, they actually have rules about what they can do. And this is over at the New York City State Government website, nyc.gov. They have a page called Rental Assistance. You, the drop down menu is it's, it's like about I need help, locations, news, doing business and partners. And this is under the New York City Human Resources Administration. You click on I need help and they have one section under here, SNAP benefits, food assistance, rental assistance, adult protective services, etc. So you click on rental assistance and it takes you to SOTA. You can expand all of the SOTA frequently asked questions and I'm going to give you some details about it. So first off, what is the special one-time assistance program? Well, it provides one year's full rent upfront for eligible DHS clients to move within New York City to other New York State counties or to another state, Puerto Rico or Washington, D.C. SOTA can be accessed by working individuals and families and those who receive SSI, SSD, etc. As long as there is a future ability to make rent payments based on the household's rent, 
not exceeding 50% of the household income. So now here's where I would say this probably isn't that big of a deal, okay? Um, and I have to I have to tell you, I one of the things that is so interesting about this is it's a program that's designed to get people off of the, I'm just sitting around on my buns all day, eating and taking up space and watching cable in my government provided apartment doing nothing. This has the right idea because you have to work in order to do this. You you can't access this year's worth of paid rent if you aren't working. So that's the first thing. If you go there, and that's what they have on here in the details, they tell you all about how you can or can't do whatever you can or can't do. Specifically, who's eligible? Well, families with children, you have to have been in a shelter for at least 90 days. So these are people who really need the help. Uh, single adults and families, um, 90 days out of the past 365 days. So you're persistently homeless. The household must be working or have had enough income to make future rent payments based on the rent not exceeding 50% of household income. Now, if you're on government assistance, the income that you're counting towards that rent is, uh, it can include employment or SSI and SSD. So if you're getting social security disability um, you can use that to qualify for this program. And then um, the next thing that they have on here uh, is if the household is moving within New York City only, it must not be eligible for any federal, state, or city rental subsidies. So if you're on Section 8 housing vouchers and you become homeless and you're still eligible for those, then you can't qualify for this program. Now, how is the ability to pay rent determined? You have to provide proof of income. The rent must not be greater than that income. How does a household in shelter apply for state of, uh, for this program, special one-time assistance? Well, a case manager and housing specialty specialists identify clients who may be eligible for, for this. In addition, the clients may reach out to their case manager or housing specialist if they believe they may be eligible. And then you can't use it to rent a room in a house. It has to be an entire rental that you're taking on yourself. And they review the apartment if, so they go do a walkthrough if the unit is within New York City or in the New York State counties of Nassau, Rockland, Suffolk, Westchester, or in the New Jersey counties of Bergen, Essex, Hudson, Middlesex, Passaic, or Union. But if you're going outside the state, they don't inspect the apartment. If the apartment fails the review and corrections are made in a timely manner, then you can still receive the SOTA funds. And when an individual or family moves out of the five boroughs, they're referred to the home base office in their community. So they basically hand you off to um, receive your new benefits from the taxpayers in your new state. So here's my problem with this. New York's policies of not allowing certain developments uh, the exorbitant cost of living there, the high taxes, and the liberalism, all of the liberal policies are what causes surges in homelessness. And New York is not the you know number one bad actor. We're talking about California. You know, most of the big, big cities in California are the ones with the huge homeless problems, LA, San Francisco, et cetera. Not the Republican ones in the far north of the state, the ones down where the liberals rule and reign supreme. So let's say... Uh, that the you go into this SOTA arrangement and wherever you are, and then you leave the apartment. Well, the landlord has to pay back any unused rent to the state of New York. And if 
the landlord doesn't give the money back, the city will actually sue to get the money back. Now, if a landlord in New York City tries to evict the tenant during their first year, how can the tenant get help? Well, HRA will provide them a lawyer. They'll provide a lawyer to the tenant to help them be represented in court. And um, if you leave the apartment and go back to a shelter for some reason, even though the apartment is paid for, if you leave, then DHS and HRA will work to divert the client back to the apartment because it's paid for. And if the unit is viable, no health or safety issues, the client will be ineligible for actually being in the shelter due to the existence of other housing. So there are some safeguards here. And I know this was meant to take care of a problem. In other words, people, especially families, living in shelters, the deplorable conditions, even the best-run shelters, it's a horrible place to live. It's better than being on the street, but there are other dangers present that really, if you're even if you're there alone, if you're a woman or if you're a smaller man, weaker, or if you're a, you have children with you, it's just a dangerous place to be. So New York State wants to do something about that by providing a year's worth of housing assistance. And I think in theory, on paper, it probably sounded fantastic. But as soon as they open it up and move it out into, you can go anywhere in the United States and then we hand you off to the local home base. So taxpayers in that state get you. Basically, New York is saying one year's worth of rent gets rid of a homeless family. They have... 40 of these families who've moved to North Carolina. So if they had also provided some kind of training to these families on uh, financial management, um, you know, caring for kids, et cetera, kind of like a uh, parent university, um, life university, you have to go through all of these things and you have to pass them then. And you're doing that while you're in New York, in New York City, because that's where the homeless problem has originated from. That is where you found yourself homeless. That to me would be much more sensible. But you know what happens when you make suggestions like that if you're a Republican? You get shut down. I, oh, well, so you're saying people need lessons on how to be a parent. How do you know they don't know how to be a parent? Well, something happened and they're homeless. Anyone can fall on hard times and become homeless. But there should be some criteria for you doing something to get access to a year's worth of paid rent especially if you want to leave the state. Now, I don't blame people, especially if they're homeless, for wanting to leave New York. The weather's horrible. The city is expensive. And I mean, why would you want to live there if you're homeless? You would want to be somewhere where you had a better chance at becoming not homeless, right? But the idea that he ships these people out, this is the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, Mr. Lower Your Climate Footprint, He's shipping these families outside of the state of New York and he's doing it with taxpayer dollars and he does not alert the incoming receiving districts. It's not like the people there are calling up North Carolina and saying, hey, we got six homeless families that we're shipping down to you. They're moving to your state, which you can't prevent people from moving to your state. But where's the courtesy in letting the receiving districts know so that they know, hey, you know what you should be doing is you should be planning for the possibility that these people are going to be using your home-based services for, you know, who knows what else, whether it's SSI, SDI, whatever. They're going to be using it um, possibly in 12 months, but possibly even before that. These are persistently homeless people that we're helping to get back on their feet, but they don't want to do it in New York. They want to do it in your state. So here they are, 
you know, here's their addresses or here's their contact information so you can start follow-ons with them to prevent them from falling out of this program. But why would he do that? I would dare say, and I don't know for sure, he hasn't made a comment on this, that they probably feel like they're punishing the state of, the, of North Carolina for their horrible LGBTism by sending these people down there to them. And it's like a surprise. It's the same thing that President Obama was doing with the refugee resettlement. Governors are like, how did we get 80,000 new people in our state from, from some other country? And Obama was like, you can't do anything about it because the president alone, the executive branch, controls immigration. And so I decide how many refugees come in here. I decide how many of them go where, what states they get, get placed in. You got nothing you can say about it. You can't do anything. Now we have President Trump who is saying, yeah, I'm in charge of immigration as well, just like Obama was. The, it, the power was given to the executive branch by Congress. They actually voted on it decades ago. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lower the number of refugees, lawsuit, national injunction. I'm going to tell people that want to come here for asylum, they actually have to need asylum, lawsuit, national injunction. I want to build border wall, lawsuit, national injunction. You see how that works? So as long as they're doing what they want to do and without anyone's permission, foisting people, using humans as literally pawns to execute their agenda, then that is, that's okay. Nobody can stop you from doing that. But if someone says, um, I want to protect Americans, I want to lower the number of people who are coming in here, well, lawsuit, national injunction. So he is a hypocrite. He's behaving hypocritically, if that's if that sits better with you, because um, dooming him to being a, a hypocrite forever, maybe that's not the right thing to say. He's behaving hypocritically because, first of all, I know New York doesn't want other states foisting their homeless people on them, right? They don't want it. Second of all, if there's anything that any any politician, any elected official should be doing is knowing that their actions, when we see them, um, when we see that their actions and the things that they're doing, you know, moving people around the country without telling the receiving areas that they're coming, you see how they really don't care about the people themselves. They're just trying to satisfy quotas and targets. It's not really in the end, even though it starts off sounding pretty good. Remember when I was reading the frequently asked questions to you and all that, that actually sounded not so bad. It sounded like they were trying to do something to help people who are persistently homeless. What they're really doing is saying, yeah, we can settle some of them here, but some of them might want to go somewhere else. And if they do, we're going to help them. We're going to help them get out of New York so we can keep our numbers low. It's not right. And it, it again, this is what happens when you give the government the power to tax people, take money from them, and put it into programs like this. It's just wrong. All right. So one of the other stories that I thought was fantastic today, and it's just a quick hit, is the Supreme Court allowing the Kentucky ultrasound law to go into effect. So this is a law that tells doctors they are required to perform an ultrasound and show fetal images to patients before they schedule the abortion. And it was challenged by the American Civil Liberties Union on behalf of Kentucky's lone remaining abortion clinic. And of course, on appeal, it was um, first there was an injunction saying, no, you can't make doctors show ultrasounds. And then it went up to an appellate court and it was upheld. The ultrasound law goes into effect. Well, the Supreme Court has just kicked it back without comment. It stands. You have to show an ultrasound to a woman before giving her an abortion in the state of Kentucky. 
and this is something the voters put into place. Voters enacted the legislature, voters elected the legislators who enacted this law. If voters don't want these kinds of laws, they'll take those legislators out of office and put in ones who will put in laws that they like. And it's Kentucky, for goodness sakes. I, I, and that was always shocking to me when the ACLU and other organizations on the left act as if middle of the country states, southern states, conservative states are supposed to behave like the hellholes of, you know, California and New York. And I do like New York. It's not like I've never been there before. I've been many times. And every time I've been, it's been fantastic. But it's it's a visiting place. It's not a place to go live um, unless you're in the outstate of New York. It's just not friendly to regular people type stuff like owning guns, worshiping, you know, living around people who speak English. Yeah, I said it. It's not xenophobia. It's the truth. All right. So I want to say hey to people in the chat room. Smoke, Tracy, Chi, and others who are over there. Thank you so much, guys, for being in the chat room over at StaceyOnTheRight.com. And uh, our web redesign is like so close to being the trigger pulled. I just saw it for the first time yesterday and it's so pretty, y'all. It's so nice looking and so much more ability to post content up on it. You're going to love it. Um, So in the chat room, people are talking about Drudge. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, Well, yeah, we can go to Drudge. Then we'll talk about this poll information for the president who is actually doing awesome. He's surging. Um, so over at PJ media, there's a story about the possibility that Matt Drudge is no longer running the Drudge report. This is not like carryable news. There is no verification on this. Drudge has not responded to requests for comment. No one at Drudge has verified that he's no longer working there, but there has been a persistent left-wing tilt to Drudge for the past year now. And a lot of people are abandoning it and their advertising numbers are down because their clicks are down. So people are saying maybe the reason why it's changed um, is because people have stopped going there because Matt Drudge no longer owns it. I don't know. But Rasmussen, which runs the polling organization Rasmussen Reports, has actually been tweeting kind of provocatively that Matt Drudge is no longer there. But there is no verification. Now, I will say that out of all of this have come some very nice developments. You can go to WayneDupree.com for fantastic news aggregation. And Dan Bongino has launched the Bongino Report. I went over there, pretty interface. It looks nice, but it's still an aggregator. So you click on the stories and it takes you out to wherever you're going to go. Looks great. Works fantastic for the 2019-2020 thing we got going on. Um, And of course, Dan Bongino rocks. So very, very good. Um, I would say if you're looking for something to replace Drudge, that's a good one. Um, and then Citizen Free Press is another news aggregator. And it's just a straight up list like Drudge. But instead of three columns, you got one. Um, well, actually, no, you do. You have three if you scroll down. You have one at the top, which is all the hot stories of the day. And then you go down and it has this. I mean, it's exactly like Drudge, even uses the same font Citizen Free Press, breaking William Barr issues blistering statement. Um, Chanel Rion debriefs the Ukraine trip with Rudy. And November traffic numbers are released on the Citizen Free Press. They're tracking their stuff publicly. That's pretty fantastic. Um, So those are a couple of ones that you can go to if you don't want to uh, frequent Drudge anymore. I kind of feel like 
to me, it's super sad because, well, first of all, I was drudged. Remember back when I I wrote for the Post-Dispatch and I left after they suspended me for writing a fantastic article about the Second Amendment? Um, I got drudged. And it was amazing. It like there's nothing like it. You don't see traffic like that on regular days unless you run a huge website yourself. So uh, I was, it was my daughter's friend who he Snapchatted her an image, and he goes, "Is this your mom?" <laughs> and she said, "Mommy, is this you?" <laughs> I was like. I looked down and there's a picture of me that Demetrius Minor took of me holding a gun at the uh, National Rifle Association annual meetings. And I'm sta- and I was like, that's that's me. Where where did you see that? And she said, Mom, you're on Drudge. Andrew says. I was like, no way. So I clicked. We're we're in the minivan. So we went to the drive thru. We were actually headed over to um, I want to say Dunkin' Donuts, but I don't remember exactly where. We, we drive into the drive-thru and I pick my phone up and I go to Drudge and there I am on the homepage. Y'all, she could have literally, she could have tipped me out of that minivan with one finger. I was so shocked. Those were good times. The good old days. Everything felt so, so different back then. Now, well, it's now. Anyway, um, so you can find the link to this story over at PJ Media. There's a lot of info here. She did like a, a real, like Paula Bolliard. She's been on the show before. You know Paula over from pjmedia.com. She did a big story about this, and she has some links in there if you want to read some more about what's going on with Drudge. Um, I wish that he would go back to being his old Drudge self, but times change, people change. I don't know what's going on. Just wishing the best. So here's another one for you. I talked about it at the top of the show. President Trump is surging in battleground states as this impeachment debacle plays out. So polling from Firehouse Strategy shows that President Trump has surged in key battleground states as the Democrats' impeachment proceedings uh, unfold. He's actually pulled ahead in the hypothetical matchups against all of the Democratic presidential candidates. He's currently polling in the lead position in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin against former VP Biden, Warren, Sanders, Bloomberg, and Mayor Pete. Trump's closest contender is Biden, but the president has an average lead of over six points. The president is pulling ahead of Biden in Michigan by five points, Sanders by six points, Warren by nine points, Mayor Pete by 11 points, and Bloomberg by 11 points, which is not a shocker because he's an anti-gun nut and he's crazy pants and he's also rich and a hypocrite. Need we say more? So in Pennsylvania, Trump leads Biden by four percentage points, uh, Sanders by 11, Warren by seven, but but a judge by six, Bloomberg by four. Bloomberg's best performance was actually in Pennsylvania. Uh, so the numbers go on. You can find this story from um, it's Jordan Pear wrote this over at DISRN. Um, you can find this also in the show links and click through. Um, so don't forget if you're supporting the show, first of all, that I thank you and I really appreciate you uh, supporting the actual costs that are associated with being on the air and putting on a podcast. And I, I guess we can do like just real quick. I, I was over on Apple Podcasts and I the top review over there. So the most recent review, which please review the show, um, leave your comments over there. I would hope they'd be positive, but the review I'm going to talk about here is a negative one. He said that the posting was spotty. Um, so days I've been absent, he hasn't seen a podcast. And that the volume is too low, which 
I still don't understand that because I have the volume up at like it's up. Volume is up. So you should be able to hear it. And then he also said um, that he loves the show when it's here. But, you know, those are his problems. And so I appreciate the feedback. And I'm always working on trying to make the show the best that it can be. But I'm also one 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 person running this thing. One single person. Um, and so the reason why we don't have fill-in guest hosts is because I'm not on terrestrial radio doing a live show anymore. There's, so there isn't anyone for me to say, hey, do you want to do my podcast while I'm, you know, like next week, we're traveling to D.C. again. I have a, two speaking engagements there in D.C. Um, I'm being flown in to do them. And this is my first time speaking for this organization, so I'm very excited about it. And it's on a subject that I really care about, which is bringing our troops home and actually doing a better job of spending our defense dollars. I'm going to be speaking on that. I'm the keynote on both. And then on top of that, I guess it's a good time to share. I've been invited to the White House Christmas reception, and it's my first invitation. Now, you guys know I've been to uh, the Black History Month reception, and that's nice, and I'm glad that I was invited. I'm, I'm really honored, but this is my first time being invited to the Christmas one. And so I'll be doing that while I'm there. And as God's providence has worked out, because he orders all my steps, he takes care of me, lock, stock, and barrel, I'm invited to the White House Christmas reception that is on the same day as my speaking engagement, and I did not arrange that myself. I was asked to speak there when I was in D.C. the last time. Remember a few weeks ago when I went to the Bring Our Troops Home conference at the White House or at the National Press Corps? Then one of the gentlemen there who runs an organization I met him and he said he really enjoyed my comments and he wanted me to speak for his organization. So I said yes. And when we got back together later after I'd returned home, she said, oh, yeah, um, there's going to be it, it's the day we're looking at is the 17th. Can you make that? So I agreed. I looked at my calendar. I said yes. Well, then um, the other thing that <laughs> really was like, I'll be in DC. So I'll see my mom and my dad. I'll see my sister, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, then I go into my spam because I try to check it periodically to see are any of my good emails in the spam folder. And there is a note, an email from the White House social office. I click through and it's an invitation addressed to me from the president and his wife to join them at a Christmas reception. So I didn't think there are many of these. I, I don't know anything about it, you guys. I don't know anything about the Christmas calendar at the White House except for the tree, which has already been delivered, and the decorations being rolled out, which has already happened. So a few days ago on, I think it was Friday, on Instagram, I noted some of my other um, Blacks for Trump coalition advisory board members. Um, they a couple of them were at the White House on Friday night for the first White House Christmas reception. And then I realized, oh, they have them you know, there's some one every few days so they can get everybody in that they want to get in because there's just, you know, probably thousands of people who they have on their list to invite. So then I thought to myself and I just had to stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Because he, it, it's obvious that I don't have to pay for a plane ticket to go to D.C. to go to the reception because I'm on, you know, limited funds here for business expenses. Um, and please don't mistake it. My husband takes care of our family and I'm fine in that area. I'm not, it's not like I can't, you know, there, there are bills that are not being paid. It has everything to do with the cost of the podcast, the cost of the equipment here, the cost of the stuff that actually makes up the show. That's the part that I've always funded through my income from being on the radio. 
has covered those things. And that's the part that you guys are graciously helping to cover by donating through PayPal or the Patreon site. You guys are doing that. And I appreciate you for that because that means I don't have to say to my husband, you know, hey, you're funding the show because that's that I, I don't feel like that's what God has me doing. So anyway, the amazing thing is that I've been invited to the White House Christmas reception that is in the afternoon right before my speaking engagement. So the plan for next week is we have a show on Monday. We have one on Tuesday. Then I fly to D.C. I won't have one on Wednesday, but I will live stream from my phone. So that's the thing for people who are missing me on Facebook. I can live stream on my phone. I cannot live stream using the equipment here, which includes this backdrop and the microphone, you know, the, the mixer, all that stuff. But I can live stream from my phone. So I'll live stream from the White House so you guys can see whatever whatever I can see. I'll do it for a few minutes so you guys can peek in and be a part of that. And then um, I hopefully my son, who's coming with me next week, will have, um, he'll be on camera duty using, we have a fantastic new tripod that we got from Smoke, donated to the show by Smoke. Um, thank you so much, Smoke, for doing that. You're amazing. And so he's going to take that tripod and use it during the speaking engagement. I won't be able to use it at the White House. You're not allowed to bring tripods into the White House. But we can use it at the speaking engagement. Um, we won't use it at the dinner that's that evening that I'm also speaking at. But we'll use it at the, the there's a reception at 5 o'clock that we'll be going to. So, um, And then we're flying home in the morning on Thursday. And so we'll have a show on Thursday. So you're only going to miss a show on Tuesday. That's the only day that's going to be, I'm sorry, you're only missing a show on Wednesday. Wednesday's the only day you won't have one. Um, and then Thursday and Friday, we'll be back at it and, and so excited about it. So those are the uh, details. So we just talked about uh, the polling. We talked about Drudge. Um, so now, did you guys see that Shep Smith's replacement has been announced over at Fox News? Bill Hemmer has been chosen as Shepard Smith's permanent replacement. Now, Bill Hemmer, I don't really know his politics that well. Um, I mean, I obviously he's on Fox. He sits with Martha McCallum. Um, he actually he's a co-anchor on Fox News' America's Newsroom, and he will be permanently replacing. He's a former CNN anchor who joined Fox News in 2005. He's going to move to Smith's former 3 p.m. slot on January the 20th. The show will be Bill Hammer Reports, and um, a, a rotating number of journalists will join anchor Sandra Smith on America's new newsroom until a permanent co-anchor to replace Hemmer is announced. Wow. So who are you guys rooting for to replace um, Hemmer on America's newsroom? I have thoughts. I have thoughts in my mind. <laughs> I'm not going to say now. Why don't we all think about it? And we'll circle back around to it at another point where we can talk about who thinks what, who has what thoughts about what person. I actually have a couple of unconventional people that I would, when I say unconventional, not ones who are normally right now. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Lawrence Jones III, who is frequently on the five, wouldn't he be amazing during the day on America's Newsroom? You know, he's my little, he's, I call him my little brother. He's, he's just fantastic, wonderful talent over at Fox. I want him to get a, I want him to be on that show every day, five days a week. He's young. He could be on Fox for like a hundred years. He's so young. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Cause he's still in his twenties and he's been with Fox for like, I don't know how many years. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Not, not Peter Ducey. No, no, mm -mm, not for me. I'm thinking Lawrence Jones or, well, I'll share some other ones another day. Y'all think about it. What, what would you think? Um, who, who would you think? Yeah, Hammer has been pretty fair as far as I remember. I'm responding to somebody in the chat. She is saying he's been pretty fair. I think he has, yeah. Um, I think that's great news. I mean, I got nothing against it. He seems like he's pretty awesome. He's pretty laid back. Um, so over at DC Secrets, as we close out the show here today, and I don't know if you guys like the new uh, commercial-free format where we just go straight through the show. Um, I thought I wouldn't be able to do it, but it actually works great, and... Um, I'm going to have a salad after this cause I'm trying to intermittent fast. I'm, I'm still working on the weight loss y'all. I just was kind of horrified by my picture with president Trump. So, uh, newly motivated. And I know that I can do this. I can do this. I just have to stick with it. So if you're doing this too, um, you know, we're, we're together, you and me, we're, we're doing the weight loss thing together if you're doing it. Um, and also the 25 days of headbands still rocking it. Um, so arrests and removals of illegal immigrants are up a majority up underneath president Trump. This is according to Washington examiner. Um, and this is what they call their opinion. Washington secrets by Paul Bedard. So they've made good on their promise to boost arrests, detentions and deportations of illegal immigrants convicted of crimes, over the Obama administration. Now, you know, Obama was the deporter in chief, and they've said that President Trump has only deported around 880,000, while President Obama uh, deported like 1.4 million or something like that. So the president really needs to like catch up. Um, the detentions have increased, removals jumped, um, convicted criminals accounted for the majority of the arrests, detentions, and deportations. And the administration has said that they're targeting mostly criminals and this has held to be true according to these numbers. Now, I think, um, uh, these numbers are pretty important and you should put them in your back pocket. Um, most of the illegal immigrants who have been seized in the United States and are being deported are from Latin American nations. In 2018, we had 16,141 deportations of people from El Salvador 52,755 deportations of people from Guatemala, 32,180 people from Honduras, and 139,330 people were deported back to Mexico. Now, see, we were told a couple of years ago, I remember reporting this on, uh, on the show, that the illegal immigration numbers from Mexico were way down. Well, if you look at this, the Mexicans are still pouring in here by a huge rate if these are the deportation numbers we're seeing. Unbelievable. Um, so that's law breaking and the president's trying to stop it and we should be supportive of him. Lock, stock and barrel, honey bun. All right. So um, that is the show for today. I have had such a pleasure. I was putting it together today and I was just feeling a little more upbeat. I know it's been really frustrating, uh, at least for me, with a lot of the different things that have been going on with the show, but we are still here. We're still rocking it. And it's always a pleasure to be with you and to get to talk to you and to have you guys check out the podcast. So share the show, share it with friends, um, send them the link. You can also listen to the show. If you're using, if you're looking for the podcast, you can look on, um, the, you can look on the, the, any of the podcast sites. You can even go to TuneIn. We're on there. So check us out. Do the good thing, which is if you're wanting to do something for Christmas and you're thinking, what can I do for Stacy? 
Make a goal to share the show 100 times in the next 30 days. <laughs> That's the best gift you can give me. <laughs> Thanks again to Smoke. You are amazing. Thank you so much for the uh, tripod. We'll be using it next week while we're out and about in D.C. All right. Until tomorrow, you guys. <laughs> 